This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Champions of CONCACAF once again. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the It's Called Soccer podcast. My name is Tom. I'm filling in for Jake as host while he has COVID. We're hoping he recovers soon. With me is Manny. Today, we are going to be breaking down the CONCACAF U-20 championships in which the US U-20 team won their third straight title as champions of CONCACAF at the U-20 level and in the process qualified for next year's Youth World Cup and for the 2024 Olympic Games in Paris for the first time since 2008. Before we get started, Manny, want to go ahead and check in. I like the kit. <laughs> also rocking the Dortmund kit today. <laughs> Good, love to see that. How are you doing today? I'm doing okay. I don't I don't know what's going on. Like I feel like we were just Dortmund out. It's like Jake said, I guess Dortmund is America's team now. So because we all have Dortmund kits. So, hey, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I just randomly grabbed this one from my closet, but, you know, there's so many Americans that have gone through there that I guess it makes sense. Yeah. (laughs) Well, let's go ahead and get into this tournament. I wanted to go ahead and just start with a big picture of how the U.S. played, what we can take away from it. I want to give you some quick stats. First, we outscored opponents 31-2 to through the tournament. We only conceded in one game, and only one of those was a goal allowed that we didn't score on ourselves. 15 of the 31 goals were scored by Philadelphia Union Products. What can you make of a tournament like this? What does it mean for the U.S. that we won this tournament in such dominant fashion, and we looked so good while doing it? Um, it's just like you said. It's just been absolute dominance. Um and I mean, I think that that speaks well. It bodes well for the the the, the U.S. development system. Um, I mean, I think I think you have to, to, you know, take a look at it and you know give it a pat on the back because we're we're developing some we're developing some great players. Um, every last single one of these players were developed in the MLS academy. Even the the European guys came out of. MLS Academy. So I think it speaks well to the, the U.S. system. Um, you know, of course, there could be some things that could be better about the U.S. system, but for the development process, yes, I think we can, you know, we can definitely hang our hats on that. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, 17 of these 20 guys do come directly from an MLS team. Some of them are getting starting minutes, and we were even without some of our really talented MLS players who were not able to come because they were too important to their clubs for them to even be considered to be released for the youth tournaments. It's crazy how fast we've developed this MLS Academy system and how well it's producing now. This is our third straight win at the U20 levels, and we just seem to be getting better as this tournament goes on. Is this? Do you think this is a paradigm shift? Have we finally passed Mexico in youth development? Or what's going on? Why have we won this tournament so consistently over the last decade and a half or so? Um, that's a good question. I, I do think that the uh, obviously the the development um, system, the academies are now starting to bear fruits. Um, and so you know you're getting the best players out of these academies and 
You know, it's not like it's you know, it's not like we're only recognizing the the talents that may be over in Europe are also seeing the, the you know these players too. Um, so I think that's one thing. Um, what I what, what I would say about the, the other nations is that they just don't have. Um, Sans Mexico, they just don't have as complex of, uh, of academies as, as we do. I I can't really speak for, you know, I really can't really speak for what's going on with Mexico. Um, but, I, you know, I think that, you know, all things point to the up with us. So, you know. Our partners at Bet Online continue to be the number one source for all of your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest odds, news, and sports developments, including this year's Wimbledon Finals, Major League Baseball, the latest fighting news, and even next season's early NFL futures, and of course, the best sport in the world, soccer. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE, that's B-L-E-A-V, to get the bonus and get into the action. Bet online where the game starts. Yeah, I'm not going to complain about us sort of passing Mexico at the youth ranks. It speaks well for our ability to sort of continue to surpass them at the senior ranks, hopefully, going forward. We saw Mexico's dominance of CONCACAF last decade preceded by Olympic success and youth success. So hopefully that sort of bodes well for our future. I... Also, if you didn't watch this tournament, want to point out that Mexico didn't just not win this tournament. They pretty much failed on every level for this tournament, having lost in the quarterfinals, missed out on the next World Cup, missed out on the next Olympics. What does this do for the U.S.-Mexico rivalry, especially in the U.S. youth ranks going forward as we look towards 2024, 2023, 2025, and 2026 even? Oh, I think it's, it's very detrimental to, to, to you know, Mexico's, uh, you know, prospects going on because, you know, now – it's going to be a good yeah, 23, 23 U20 World Cup. Um, and then you got the 24 Olympics. And that's a good two years where that 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 uh, range of prospects don't have a youth tournament to play in. And so, you know, if, you know, if, if these dual nationals that want to play in these tournaments, you know, they'll have an option with the yeah with the US. Um we also need to start calling up more camps. But that's but that's another conversation for another day. But I definitely think that that hurts Mexico's prospects in, in that two year window um of of having these players that have you know necessarily have been leaning towards their way. Well now they don't have a tournament to go to. And I think it you know and I think the the the, the players that were on the fence we have a now we now have a leg up because we do have those tournaments and those events to offer them. So, yeah, yeah, I agree. For a player like Jonathan Gomez, who might be on the fence, having the ability to play in the Olympics or the U twenty World Cup is a huge sort of boost to our ability to recruit a player like that. Basically, if you're on the fence, you have to be pretty much sure that you can make it at the senior national team level if you're going to be sure about your decision to choose Mexico, because there won't be any meaningful youth camps for two to three years. So this is a huge deal going forward for us. I completely agree. And a really good sign that we might be able to really hammer home that dual national recruiting angle right now, as we go into very crucial years leading up to that 2026 world cup at home. 
So let's go ahead and switch gears from big picture to individual performances. I know that you and Jake recorded a video beforehand talking about this squad in depth. Let's go ahead and analyze it after the tournament now. Let's talk about how each player performed. Let's talk about who were our start standout performers who didn't perform as well. So I want to start not with a player, but with our head coach, Mikey Veras, who was, I thought, an excellent coach for this tournament. He put a great squad on the field. We looked awesome throughout the tournament with how we played. What were your thoughts on our coach? How do you think Mikey Veras did overall in this tournament? Uh, yeah, I think um, other than that Canada game where I'm just saying, I, I don't know what, what to make of it. He, 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 he had the right calls. He, he had them playing cohesively. And, you know, they, they, they showed that they were the best team on, on the field. So, uh, big ups to him. Um, I, you know, as far as comparing him to, to past U20 coaches, uh, you know, we, we still have, you know, a lot more to, to look at. But, you know, I, I definitely think this, the, the, you know, the sky's the limit with him. So, you know, big ups to Mikey Bears. Yeah, I, I agree. He he was awesome. I loved watching, especially that semifinal game against Honduras, where we basically were pinging the ball around in the first half like vintage Barcelona, where just everything was first-touch passes and combinations. And anytime the ball got directed out of the 16 and the 18-yard box, we basically had two or three guys waiting to recycle possession, put it right back in, three or four guys waiting to play in combination. We just don't see a lot of that from U.S. teams at any level. And just seeing them play so dominant really speaks to how well Varus did with this team going forward, which is what we want to see in a tournament that we want to dominate and we want to make the Olympics. That was a game we hadn't actually won in three cycles. Although, you know, the U-20s are different than the U-23s. You could make comparisons to Jason Christ, but I would prefer to just block Jason Christ's tenure with the U-23s out of my memory completely. Yeah, uh so it's interesting that you you were talking about how they were pinging around and you know they were one touching it and they were winning the ball back and, and it's just like I think at the senior level this is the type of this was the type of uh, game plan and tactics that Berhalter wanted to run with but he just I I, I believe in my I, I believe that we don't have the personnel to to run that and so. You know, it was interesting enough that, like, the players that we did have, we didn't have a out-and-out uh, know, striker, but because we had three good players that have learned how to play one-touch passing, and basically we 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 have a mid, we had a midfield in the front three that are basically understands one-touch passing and, and moving around. It worked out well. It worked out so well, and so for a team that didn't really have an organized press. They were getting killed. They mm -hmm. were getting killed. So I, I thought that was very interesting that you, you talked about the, the prime Barcelona. I think that's what, I, I, I think that's what the, 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 the Federation is trying to aim for. They, they, you know, they're trying to aim for Pep Guardiola. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I, I thought that was interesting. We'll, we'll see how that, we'll see how that goes going forward. But, thought that was very interesting. So Yeah, I, I think that it sort of speaks to what Greg Berhalter's tried to implement throughout the youth 
ranks for the U.S. We want to see teams playing Burhalter ball style from the beginning youth ranks all the way up the ladder so that we have players that feel comfortable being integrated to the system as they get older. They sort of race the senior national team and they're comfortable passing the ball and they're comfortable trying to implement that system for a team that really doesn't have that personnel right now. But as these players go forward, hopefully we start to develop those youth players into you know senior national team products that will be able to play that system with us, which is exciting to see. And I'm really impressed that we managed to do all that without a striker because we've seen the U.S. has not managed to get a striker at the senior level. Maybe a false nine is something to look at going forward. It's, you know, one of the most uh, hotly contested debates in U.S. circles right now. Do we run with the true true striker? Do we try and play a false nine? Veras showed we could possibly play that false nine successfully in the Burhalter ball system. Although I don't think we have someone who is playing at the level of Paxton Aronson in this tournament for the senior team right now to do it. So we've talked about Varys now. Let's go ahead and talk about the players themselves. I'm going to go ahead and start going back to four with the goalkeepers. Um, We didn't see very much of him. We saw him start the tournament out and then ended against St. Kitts and Nevis. And then we sort of saw him in the very last match in the final when subbed in in the 60th minute against Dominican Republic after we had a 6-0 lead. But let's talk about Antonio Carrera. He was the number two goalkeeper on this roster. Did we see enough about him, uh, enough of him playing to sort of make any dis- analysis of how he played? Did he face enough shots, or was he just sort of I, a you know? I, I, again, it's just like you said. He played all of the first game, and then he came in for like the last thirty minutes of the final game. I mean, I think for what he shown, he was solid. I mean, I don't think you could say much more. I don't think you could say much less. I think for for the time that he was in, he was he was solid. So. Yeah, I think he's probably the player I have the least to say about in this whole tournament just because we only saw him against the worst team in our group and then after we had a 6-0 lead in a final that was already done. So, yeah, solid is probably about the best we can do there. So let's go ahead and move to the starting goalkeeper for the rest of the tournament, Chris Brady, who is Gagas Lonina's backup at Chicago Fire. How do we think he did? Uh, He was the Golden Glove winner. So, um, you know, obviously he had to do wonderful. Um, I'll, I'll say this. He, he had like a very shaky time during that Costa Rica match. And, you know, it didn't help that, that, you know, it didn't help that the the players around him in the back line were kind of giving him some rough passes and whatnot. But other, other than that, he's been solid. He's been a solid shot stopper again. I mean, other than the, the two goals they gave up in Canada, he, he's pretty much stopped everything. So Yeah, I mean, you can't complain about a goalkeeper who posts a 31 to 2 goal differential in the tournament. Um, I I don't really think those Canada goals were his fault. One was an own goal that, you know, trickled past him. He really didn't have a chance at. And the other one, that seemed like it was more on the center backs not being willing to step up and, you know, command their box more than it was on him not being able to make a save. Definitely, yeah. So, yeah, what do you think of him in possession? I think that's one of the... Marks that we're going to start having to analyze all of our goalkeepers with going forward. I so, think like, that, yeah. So you're talking about like his distribution. Yeah. Okay. So he's also uh, one that's not really comfortable with his feet. Um, mm-hmm. So you know, you kind of you kind of just saw him boot the, the 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 ball up the field and whatnot. So he's for order in order for him to take the next step in the next level because I do think that Gaga is not going to be you know, in, in, 
with the fire for, for too much longer. Mm. Um, in order for him to take that next step, he's going to learn how to play with the, you know, play with the ball at his feet because we're now in the, in the, in the age of sweeper keeper. Mm-hmm. We're, you're, you're just going to have to do that now. So, yeah. um, you know, in order for him to take the next step, that's what he's going to do. But he didn't really look too comfortable with the ball at his feet. He would just, you know, he would kind of do what uh, Matt Turner does, just boost the ball up the field. So, I don't know. Yeah, yeah I, I kind of agree. I thought he played one or two nice passes out to his outside backs. But, well, for one, we weren't really pressed a whole lot, and he didn't really need to play a lot of distribute like beautiful passes and distribution. But, two, it was just definitely not something I saw that I thought he was very comfortable with either. So, definitely something for him to work on. Hopefully, he gets some work on that in MLS. But it's going to have to wait till after Slanina makes his move, I think. Yeah, definitely. So let's go ahead and move from our goalkeepers to the position group that you thought was the shakiest coming into this tournament, our back line. I want to start with our three outside backs first. We brought three outside backs. Noah Allen was our primary left back. Mauricio Cuevas is our primary right back. And Michael Halliday sort of helped us rotate those two around. Let's start with Noah Allen. How do you think he did at left back? So I felt like he kind of had an up and down tournament. I would have liked to, to see him step up. He had a really good final. I, mm. I honestly think he he played really well in the final. Um, yeah, he's he's just had an up and down final. And then I I think had he played more and how he, he probably could have got more into rhythm. But for whatever reason, Bears wanted to just make sure that uh, Mauricio Cuevas got all of the time back there, you know, so he even got time on the left. We'll, we'll get on Mauricio Cuevas in a minute, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that Alan more impressed me going forward than he did with his defending in this tournament. I think that was really where I saw his strengths come in, being able to get up and down that left side and, you know, put in an occasional cross. Um, I wasn't as impressed with his defensive abilities, but then again, he didn't really get a chance of getting a rhythm because he was rotated so much. To be fair, none of the none of the, the, the back, none of the fullbacks played well defensively, and that's even for Mauricio Cuevas, who who continued to get. We'll get a, we'll get a Mauricio Cuevas in there. We'll, we'll get <laughs> All right, so let's move from Noah Allen to our backup right back, then Michael Halliday of Orlando City. He sort of was. Spelled, he was our rotation piece. He played in the semifinal. He played in the sloppy game against Canada and had an own goal. I thought he was fairly shaky during this tournament. Not my favorite piece that the U.S. brought. What were your reactions? Yeah, I, I, I put down like he was probably the weakest link for me uh, of the group. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a, he actually had a really good game against Honduras, but mm-hmm. but we kept possession. We kept possession for most of that. So I do think you know. He did benefit from them, but yeah, he was easily the weakest link for me. So, yeah. Oh no, definitely that Canada game especially stands out as a game where he just didn't look comfortable. He looked shaky. Um, we didn't command our back line very well at all. Whenever Canada was able to break out, and he had an own goal that really you shouldn't be one you give up. Put that ball anywhere else besides back to your keeper. That sort of seems like defending one hundred and one. So. But I, I do agree. His Honduras game was excellent. He was providing sort of that nice defensive uh, push up the field. He was able to turn balls back in after the ball did get released. He did combine well in in possession. So I think there was as, as the tournament went on, he got more comfortable. But yeah, he was not a name when I saw him on the starting lineup that made me feel super secure in what our back line was going to produce this tournament. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. 
All right, so that's two of our outside backs. Let's go to Mauricio Cuevas now. I think he's the most interesting of the three outside backs on this roster. What were your thoughts about the the man who was our captain for the first match and one of our more uh, experienced players in this roster? So let's start off first by like saying that like he was he was actually on the U seventeen qualifying roster, mm-hmm. uh, the one with Gio Reyna and all of those guys. Mm-hmm. So let's let's start off by saying that. Um, you know, and then we, we come to the lost U twenty year. Um, and so he, he kinda lost a year of whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's at Club Bruge and you know, he he's trying to make his way. I thought, yeah, I thought that he for the most part he was one of he was probably one of our better influencers. Um, what did I put down for him? He so he, so obviously, you know, he, he played on the left in times to spell Noah. He's not good on the left, but he still found a way to make himself, you know, to, to make an impact. And I, I, I remember in the Honduras game, he, he whipped in across, uh, he whipped in across with his right leg on the left side to uh, Alejandro Alvarado and, you know, got them the second goal. And so he finds, and then he's, and, and actually he scored one, like, uh, I, I remember the, what was the final score of kids in, the kids in Nevis game? <laughs> that was the 10 0 game. You know, yeah, I think, but like the eighth goal or something. And, and he whipped in probably one of the best goals, <laughs> one of the best goals of, of the tournament. And I was just, I was just amazed. So very talented player. I'm definitely curious to see what he does after this tournament in Belgium, but that's, that's one to look for. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think it was good having a veteran, someone who'd been through qualifying before who could play on the back line and play both positions because it really did allow for a little bit more versatility, could spell Noah Allen when he needed a rest. And uh, yeah, he wasn't great on the left, but he did the job. And on the right, he was probably one of the stronger parts of our back line. So I'm I'm always happy to see a player perform like that in a tournament like this. Yeah, so we talk now about the outside backs. That brings us to the center backs, which is um, another position that was not strong in this tournament. I want to start with Jalen Neal, an LA Galaxy prospect who uh, was sort of a rotation piece. I thought he was probably our best center back from a defensive standpoint in this tournament, but he didn't get as many minutes as I expected him to. What, what were your thoughts on Jalen Neal? Yeah, uh, and because of that, I, I had a I put down solid. And there wasn't really mm-hmm. much I could say about because it wasn't like he gave up goals, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think he really made his presence known. So I I, I put down solid. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you have any thoughts on 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 Jalen? Not really. I I thought he was better than Fakranis, and I was kind of surprised that Fakranis got the minutes in the big games. But um, apparently, Varus disagreed with me. I I thought he was definitely. A, the most solid defensively of the three, although not my standout performer of the three center backs. He also did have a goal. Um, he did. Mm-hmm. He also did have a goal. That was in the uh, the Cuba game, right? Yes. Yeah. I think that he. Yeah, I think he scored in that game. Was that a set piece goal? Yeah. Uh, I was surprised at how little our center backs contributed to the set piece game in general in this tournament. I, it feels like. We didn't really utilize him that well outside of Brandon Craig, of course, who we'll talk about, who is a very unique case that sort of makes it hard to judge the set piece tactics for the youth teams compared to the senior teams because 
he adds such a unique wrinkle that it 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 does sort of create some weird comparison points. Yeah. Yeah. So let's go ahead and go to Marcus Fercranus next. Another LA Galaxy prospect. Um, he was partially at fault for the first goal against Canada and struggled a, quite a bit in that game. Uh, any thoughts on Fercranus? So I actually, I, I actually kind of disagree with you on on Neil being a, the more solid of the two. I thought actually Fercranus actually did more and I did more throughout the tournament. And of course, he got more of the minutes, but I felt like, and mm. I felt like it was crucial for him to step up and to and step up and to get those interceptions. So there's there's plenty of times where um, the opposition will try to play through the middle, mm-hmm. and where Cranus will step up to get yeah. the interception and get us back the ball. And I and, and I was, and I saw that time and time again throughout the tournament. And so that that kind of stuck out to me. And so like for him for him to take the next level, he's gonna have to he's gonna have to read the game even better. Okay. I, know, I, I know, I know, I know that that sounds kind of backwards and whatnot because of like how he was, how he was stepping up, um, you know, during interceptions and whatnot. But he's going to have to learn to read because the game, because unfortunately, the game was at his pace. Mm-hmm. At the MLS level, it's going to be faster. At yeah. Europe, it's going to be even faster. So his 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 processing is going to have to become quicker and I'm of course more experience you're, you're gonna you know with experience he'll get that but yeah interesting I I hadn't really noticed that about his 1v his ability to sort of step up and read the game like that that's a that's a good point and a really underrated skill in a center back so I might have to go back and rewatch some of his highlights from this tournament because that that's a really interesting point and something that's really valuable for a center back and especially one in a system like we play where our center backs do have to play so high up the field in order to prevent counterattacking opportunities. Um, so that's an interesting point. Yeah. All right. One last defender left on this roster to talk about, and it was Brandon Craig of Philadelphia Union. We come to our first Philadelphia Union pros- prospect in this tournament, and if not our standout defender, for sure stand out for his passing ability. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, other than the Canada game where I was just like, well, what's going on? He actually had a pretty solid, solid, solid tournament. Um, you know, just not only with his distribution, but just his ability on the ball and dead ball situation. And so, you know, I do think that um, I do think he deserves to, to at least make the World Cup squad, you know. Um, but yeah, I, I thought he was solid. For the U20 World Cup squad. Yeah, for the U20. Okay, okay cool. Just going to clarify that there. Um, yeah, I agree. I thought he was um, solid. His ability to hit a long switch, a long diagonal, is very Tim Ream, John Brooks-esque, where he just is very comfortable pinging that ball across the field and trying to hit someone further up. Also, it is so unique to have your tallest player on the field, a center back, lining up and hitting set pieces and taking your corner kicks for you. It's very Philadelphia Union Jim Curtin for that to be the way you set up your system. I don't think I've ever seen that before. But his delivery was excellent. I thought that he created a lot of danger, even hit the post in a free kick in the final. He was, It was great to see that. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that covers our back line. 
Next, we move into the midfield. Um, I have six players down in the midfield here. I'm There's nine listed on the U.S. roster, but I've taken Paxton Aronson, Caden Clark, and I think that we left Obed Vargas didn't actually make the trip because he was injured. We replaced him with a forward in Jackson Hopkins. So let's go ahead and start with Daniel Edelman, who was one of our captains for this tournament and played sort of most of the meaningful minutes at the six. So uh, I, I remember him during the Honduras game. He was very key. He was very key. And um, the only thing I can really say about him is that I'll, I'll be watching more of him at Red Bulls. I, I thought he was just very solid for, you know. It, it's really hard to kind of, like, really nitpick when a, when, a, when a team dominates so much. Yeah. So, you know, if you don't stand out in a significant way, I, don't, I can't really say much about you. I, I think he, I thought he was solid. Yeah, it, it's really hard when you're playing the six in a tournament where most matches you're not tested in your ability to cover the back line. You don't have many players running at you. You're not having to do the Tyler Adams things that makes him stand out. Basically, we're just judging you on your passing ability, and that's not really what the six is doing in a Burhalter ball system in their most effective. I mean, Kellen Acosta does it against CONCACAF Minnows, but that's not really what we're doing with that system. So yeah, he was solid playing defensively in the six. I thought that he did well shuttling the ball back and forth when we were in possession, but this was not the tournament to stand out at that role. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Daniel Edelman was one of the players who played at the six. The other one was Rokas Pukstas of Hadjik split. I think he got injured partway through the tournament. We didn't see him as much towards the end, but he was one player who did stand out for me in the group stages, at least. What about for you? Um, yeah, he was a solid player up until that, that Costa Rica game where I, again, he just, he was not helping out. He, he was not helping out, uh, Chris Brady at all with some of those balls. And, you know, he, he started to struggle and then he got hurt. Mm. Then we didn't see him the rest of the tournament. So, um, I, I, I just, I, I feel like it's, it's interesting that, you know, we, we have a player playing this tournament from, the Croatian League is not that – it's not that popular of a league. And so, you know, we wondered, we wondered well, can the kid play? You mm-hmm. know. Um, but I think he's shown that he could play at this level. So it, it, I'll be curious to see um, if he does get the call up for the World Cup. But, I, I, again, it's, it's really hard to, like, kind of nitpick or really talk about the struggles of the team when the team dominated in, in some yeah. sort of fashion. So – yeah, we were we were so physically overpowering once again that you really can't tell how we would look against a France U23 U20 team or something like that. But yeah, he's a player that I would like to see more of. We've got a couple more camps scheduled in the next 9 months or so, so it'll be interesting. I would like to see him back in one or two of those camps to see what he's got before the World Cup happens next year. Yeah. Uh that brings us to the ne- the youngest player on our roster, Nico Sakiris of San Jose. Sekiris? Check yours. Okay, awesome. Um, I, I don't really have many notes on him, so I'll, I'll let you take this one. Okay, so what I wrote down, I said, being on such a stack lineup, he got into the match at times and completely showed up. Um, he's also, so you're right, he's also the, the youngest player on the team, and, you know, he'll be there, he'll be there for the next U20 cycle. So I thought that that was key that they got a young player in there um and got some and got some minutes and, and he actually contributed so mm-hmm. um again so hard to, to try to 
you know, to, to, to try to nitpick with the guys when they dominated. It, it's mm-hmm. so hard. So, um, yeah, again, I thought he was solid, and we'll see if he does get the call uh, next May, but I thought he was really solid, and, and you know, I, I am going to be checking out for more um, Earthquake 2 games to see if he, you know, if he gets in and, you know, see what he can do, but all, all accounts solid. San Jose seems like a team where you're in a very good position to rise to the ranks quickly just because of how poor they've been in MLS. So it might be that he's really well positioned to sort of step into a role in the next few years that some of these guys might be, I find a harder time getting into just because they play for better MLS teams. So yeah, interesting to see how he does going forward. I like getting a young player on that roster and I, I he I thought he played well in the matches he was in, which is good to see. He could very easily have looked out of his depth, and especially as physical a league as CONCACAF can be when you're playing these tournaments. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. That brings us to Alejandro Alvarado, another one who sort of just came out of nowhere. And I think of the midfielders who were not known to me beforehand, maybe have been the standout. Um, let me see. What did I write? He could have easily been the golden ball winner. That's just how good he was. Like defensively, um, going forward, getting, getting going a half turn. He was, he could have easily been the golden ball winner. So he, he had a heck of a tournament. Yeah. Every, he was everywhere. Basically anytime he was in the match, he was contributing. He was getting forward. He was getting back on defense. The ball was shuffling through him. He, He just, he was one of our best midfielders in this tournament. And that's really hard to do on a roster that contains so many talented players. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, I really can't wait to, to see him um, in Portugal this year. I, I know he was kind of showing between the, um, the reserve team and the first team. And I think he only got like one start, but you know, uh, I, I can't wait to, to see him. Um, and how he progresses because Portugal's a good league, and, that, and that's a, actually a really good league to to kind of get your feet wet. Um, mm. So very very curious to see him and Alex Mendez and, and and see them progress. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Being teammates with Alex Mendez is awesome for him. I, I he's one of the three players in Europe on this roster, and if he we've not had great success with players playing in Portuguese academies, but. It would be great to see a player break through. And after this tournament, I, I he's got the skills to do it. It would be awesome to see him sort of break through and show out for the first team even um, in Portugal. Because he could be pushing for the senior national team, I think, faster than some other guys in this roster. If he continues to play. Oh, yeah. I agree. Agreed. He, he, he has it all. He has the touch, the, the IQ, um, just the, the overall. He, he, he's the overall package. So I agree. All right, let's let's move now to I think my personal favorite player on this roster, which is Diego Luna. Luna is is an excellent player. I, I thought he had a great tournament. What, what, what were your thoughts on on Diego Luna? Uh, I'm gonna need you to rewind the tape for our earlier U20 video. <laughs> All right, uh, well, well, Jake will have to put this in in post processing. But what you got here? All right, so you know the. I call him the Sunnyvale Nessie, but for good reason. He he was definitely the the player that I think like if you really wanted to pay money to go see him, that's the that's the kid that you would go see. Um 
Kid was he was a he was really just a joy to watch. Uh, you know the stuff that you would see him do on the ball, um, and he just did it so effortlessly and so calm. And you know it's honestly he's one of those players that ten years ago scouts would have been like, no, he's not going to make it at the highest level, and they probably would have cut him from their, their academy. And I mean I think and I think honestly, so he was in. He was in the San Jose Academy initially. And I'm not going to go on record on saying this and where I've heard this from, but you know, they the earthquakes had a an issue with his weight. And so because they they had an issue with his weight, it was either, you know, either go on a diet and going on, on these dietary restrictions or, you know, you need to go elsewhere. So he decided to go elsewhere. He went to Barca Academy and then he went to El Paso. Now he's at the MLS level. But all indications, I, I've seen videos of him when he was he was younger. And I, I mean, fairly enough, he was, a, he was a chunky, he was a chunky kid. But you can still see even then, he the skill on the ball, the calmness on the ball, it was just amazing the kid is amazing him dribbling the touch you know just the slickness on the ball the iq it's all there oh yeah and the passing i thought he hit some beautiful balls through that this tournament including- oh yeah he had, he had, a, he had yeah. a nice outside ball yeah uh, outside the boot ball to to get us one goal back in that canada game but mm-hmm. yeah he yeah he's he's the full package he, he definitely oh yeah the full- yeah, he's one of the players that I want to see. I'm rooting for harder than anyone else to contribute. I think he's got the physicality and the skills that translate well to playing in CONCACAF to breaking down low blocks. I The ball he hit in the final to unlock a goal off a corner kick where he just slotted it calmly through like two or three lines when the ball came out to him was just a beautiful pass. And he hit those so comfortably. He just It seems to me like he's got the tools to be – a player that's successful at the senior level. And I'm really rooting for him to do it because he's just fun to watch. And but what, I, I, but what yeah. position does he play? Like what position will he play at the senior level? That's the question. And I think that's the question most scouts are going to be asking. Like, yeah, yeah. He has passing chops, but can he successfully be played in the senior level midfield where there's, you know, there's a lot of commotion going. Will he, you know, will he be that cage fighter? Will he come out with the ball most times? And, you know, that that's still where the, the jury is out on him. So Yeah, he almost reminds me of an Alex Mendez type back when he was playing at this level who was a luxury player who, you know, had this beautiful ball he could hit with his left foot but really wasn't going to scrap in the cages. And, you know, Frank, fair enough to Mendez. Mendez has done a very good job of improving that part of his game. But can Luna do that enough to be an eight or do we have to move him to a, a wing position, which is a really crowded position for the U S men's national mm-hmm. team, where we have just talent coming out our ears that he's going to be fighting with, including, you know, some players in this roster who we'll talk about later who had just as good a tournaments as him. All right. Yep. I think the last midfielder on this roster is another player who kind of fits the same mold as Luna is Jack McGlynn of Philadelphia Union. He's another one who has that Alex Mendez wonder left foot, but I, I came away with questions about his ability to play in the cage match. So 
it's no secret. Jack McGlynn is probably one of my favorite players on the squad, if not my favorite player on the squad, because that left foot, that left foot is the stuff of God, right? <laughs> what, he can do with his, what he can do with his left foot, 90% of the pool can't do. Yeah. Just, just, and just like Alex Mendez, that left foot can do 90% of what the pool can't do. And that's why, and, and, and it pains me, and it pains me so much when people tell me that these players are unathletic and therefore they can't play in the midfield. Find a way. Find a way. <laughs> Because you're not gonna, you're not gonna continue to, to, to tell me we're just gonna continue to play athletic mil- midfielders that 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 can't do what they do, and then don't create for 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 the, the front line. Like, figure out yeah. figure out a way for it to make it work. Oh, I, I completely agree. You know, yeah. telling me that they're unath- they're unathletic and therefore they don't, you know, their chances of making it in senior football are bleak. It's like no, f- f- tell me. Find a way to make it work instead of telling me that because that's what I keep hearing and that's what I've heard all these years. These players won't make it at the senior level because they're not athletic. That's okay. And that's a, that's another conversation. <laughs> so we could go on a podcast with that topic and have a field day. But adding that to the list of topics we might cover before the World Cup. But yeah, I he's a player. He has that magic touch. He unlocked so many plat passes. He created so much danger. I, how do you not play him for a team like this? He just contributed so much. That goal he scored against Canada was a world-class finish. Just rocket shot from the outside of the box. I, I love to see that in a player. And I like Alex Mendez, he's a player that I want to find their way into the senior team because that is an ability we definitely lack. We have very We're missing a metronome. We're definitely missing yeah. a metronome. We're definitely missing a metronome. No. Um, is this the type of player that Burhalter tried to use when he was didn't have Tyler Adams when he was looking for a Will Trap or a Jackson Ewell to play the six? Is he looking for a Jack McGlynn type who can shuffle the ball around and be that metronome? Yeah, but I, the, the, so the issue with that is that because of how the how the team is set up, that six has to deliver the same amount of of defensive coverage mm-hmm. and. As much as much as I don't, you know, as much as I love Jack McLean or Alex Mendez, they're just not on that level of Tyler Adams when it comes for covering for your 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 left back and your right back going into space. When we when you do that, that you know that vacates some space. So Tyler Adams is going to run to cover that space, and so then he also, you know, he also backs up the eights when they decide to run for it, like they, like he runs and he runs to the vacated space. So I, I don't think that, that that skill is a lost upon us. Like I do think that's a very, I think that's a very crucial key in, into our success. Mm-hmm. We don't have a player right now that, that can combine a six and an eight. It's either they're eight or they're six. So... Yeah. Would so if we're not looking to com- if we can't find somebody who combines those would McGlynn then maybe map better to a Eunice Musa type position where while Eunice Musa Luca De La Torre are ball progressors mainly through their dribbling McGlynn is more of a ball progressor through his passing his ability to be that metronome and unlock the defense with his left foot would you maybe maybe instead of having 
that Musa type, have a McGlynn type or a Mendez type that is able to sort of play that left-footed ball and unlock a defense in a completely different way? That we would have to see. I I, I personally like to have metronomes in, in the squad because mm-hmm. because then then because then when the the opposition tries to press you, that player knows where to go with the ball and he's quick, constantly quickly switching the you know the 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 side of play. We get them unbalanced and then you know for a guy like Pulisic or a guy like Rainer to get them you know, to get them into those spots where they can stay on the front foot and attack them, that's, you know, that's advantageous. So mm-hmm. I definitely do think that, you know, it, if not even at the senior level, I feel like he has made, I feel like he's played this way on the plane in Indonesia. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I would be shocked, frankly, if McGlynn's not on the plane to Indonesia. He is such a talented player and he's part of the best academy system right now outside of FD, FC Dallas in the U.S. So he's only going to get better and get senior team minutes for Philly Union going forward. He even, you know, at the senior team level, he hit a penalty, a game-winning penalty against Nashville in the playoffs last year, which is crazy. He, he's, he's definitely got the skills to contribute at this level, and I would be shocked if he doesn't end up on Also, the two guys, uh, the, for the guys that are viewing, um, Jake had put out a, a little short video on on YouTube Shorts and, and Twitter on on Jack, Jack McGlynn's similarities and using disguise passes, um, which is a very elite skill. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, like, if you guys haven't seen that, you guys should you know check it out. Um, you can check it out on YouTube Shorts or on Twitter. Um, but definitely, he's he's a player with all the technical ability in the world. It's just we're just gonna have to see though if he if he steps up on the defensive end. I think he can. I personally think he can. But you know, that's just up to Jim Curtin and company. So, all right. Well, after a lengthy discussion on Jack McGlynn, let's go ahead and change gears a little bit. Um, I want to go now to the forwards pool. Um, we're gonna start with the player who played the least because he only got called up for the knockouts. Jackson Hopkins of DC United was called to replace the injured Obed Vargas. He mainly played the four when he played, including in the final. Um, didn't play many minutes, so I w- I'm curious to see if you have any thoughts on him or if he just is one of those players that is going to need more evaluation. Uh, yeah, we will need more evaluation. He's, he had a nice first – he had a nice cross on our first goal in the final. So I, Yes. I think, yeah. Yes, that, that that play was awesome. It was Cuevas to Hopkins and then in for, I think it was, was it Alvarado who scored that? No, no Alvarado was the second. No. Um, gosh. <laughs> I don't remember. Was it you curious? It was, no, it was Tyler Wolf. Tyler Wolf. Oh, Tyler Wolf. You're right, you're right, you're right. It's Tyler yeah. Wolf. All right, we'll, we'll we'll come back to him in a minute. But uh, any other thoughts on Hopkins here? Uh, yeah, just not enough minutes to really kind of evaluate him. Yeah, I, he basically only got sub minutes until the final. He played well in the final, but that was a game where you know it was one way traffic going forward most of the game. So there's not a whole lot you can evaluate there, except that he didn't stand out in a negative way, which is definitely the one way that you could really hurt your stock in a game like that. Yeah. 
So let's actually now move to Tyler Wolf of Atlanta. He's the sort of next player on my list. Uh, he's sort of quasi winger and striker hybrid. He played a lot of minutes at the nine and false nine for us. Um, I thought he looked pretty good and it looks like he's going to secure a loan move based on his performance in this tournament. Um, I don't know if your thoughts are similar. He was, he was, he was mad. I mean, I don't think he was bad. Again, it's kind of hard to say that any player was like horrendous. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other end, it's just like he didn't really take advantage of the opportunity like some of these other players. So, mm-hmm. you know, he, he uh, how many goals did he have? Two? Oh, two or three. Yeah, he, he was not one of the leading scorers for this tournament for us. So, yeah, I, I, I thought he was just, I thought he was okay. I don't think he was bad, but I don't think he was exceptional either. So, the, the headed finish in the final was a very quality finish. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Hopkins played a great ball to him. He did really put a good head on that ball, get it in. But yeah, I and he scored one or two more in the group stages. I, I did not think though that he was the player who was the most active, the most um, the most dangerous when we had the ball in possession. There were other players in the forward line and in the midfield who I think outshone him a little bit. He will get a move from Atlanta. I think there's still time for him to really improve. I do also think that he needs to figure out what his position is, whether is he a striker or is he a winger? Because I don't think that's really clear to me right now. So I think the U.S. has a problem because they have so many attackers, but they don't really hone in on one specific thing. So, like, you'll have a player that's, like, maybe good at wingerish things, but they're also good at being an attacking midfielder and they have so many of these type of players. So it's just like, now they're going to have to start developing actual strikers because we have enough wingers. We have enough in these quasi half, you know, half space merchants, you know, types, you know, type players, but now we, we need actual strikers. So I'm sorry to go off on a tangent, but that that's just what that reminded me of because we have so many, so many attackers, and not enough specific attackers like strikers. Actually, this is a good segue to exactly where I wanted to go with our next player because the next player up on the list is Cade Cowell, and I think this is a perfect way to get into the Cade Cowell debate about how he did. Where does he map best to? Because I thought outside of a few moments in transition. He was not great for the U.S. in this tournament. And he's like, he's actually killed a lot of our attack down that flank. I was just, and I, I was just like, I, if there was one thing that I thought Mikey Veris was, was hard headed on. And one flaw of his was to, was to keep and continue to start Cade Cowell on a flank. And I'm just like, no, he's not a good one, one V one player. So why would mm-hmm. you keep him on a, why would you keep him on the flank? I honestly thought it would have been better to try him at striker, but he does—he doesn't like playing striker. Like I don't—I don't understand. Yeah, I, I honestly think he maps better to a striker with his physical ability, his his pace, his ability to hit a pass. I think that he would be an excellent player to try at striker. We didn't see it enough of it. The moments he was really good in this tournament were when he was playing winger. He was in transition. He was able to dribble one or two guys and then hit a ball. If he could get that ball in the center of the field, beat one guy and take a shot, 
yeah. I think he would be an excellent player. I but yeah, he's kind of he's kind of wasted in a possession based team on the wing where he has to try and beat players one v one off the dribble, and he just yeah. that's, just, not, that's not his that's yeah. not his skill. Yeah, yeah. I was, it was that was maybe the most frustrating thing watching this tournament for me was watching Cade Cowell struggle to do this over and over and over again. Of course, now Cade Cowell is suspended um, for his involvement in the fight against Costa Rica. I don't, he was in San Jose for the last match. I don't know if that still counted towards his U20 suspension or if he still has two more games he suspended for that involvement, but that is something we'll have to keep in mind going forward if we're going to call him up again. Um, well, he, is, he, did, he didn't play, regardless if he if he left the island or not. He didn't play, so that I think that served as his suspension. Okay, that's that's good to know. So he's got one game left then that either have to serve at the World Cup if he makes the roster or in a friendly leading up to that or some in some meaningful capacity. That's one thing we'll have to keep in mind with him. I he's a player that if he develops technical skills, he could easily shoot up the depth chart for me and even be very close to the senior team. But without those technical skills, his passing is excellent. He can pick out a great pass. His pace is excellent. But without that technical dribbling, he just I just don't see him being able to be a contributor yeah. going forward for the senior national team. I agree. All right, so... We've made it through three of our six forwards. There are three players left to go in our breakdown of this team. Next up is Caden Clark, New York Red Bulls. Caden's a player Jake's really high on. I saw a lot of positive things from Caden Clark in this tournament. What were your thoughts? Um, check. Let me check. What did I write down? Yeah, by the way, guys. I, 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 oh, because I got him under midfielders, duh. Um, he's been, he was kind of like average to great at times. So like some games, you know, he's just, man. And then, and then some, some of those games where he was just, he was outstanding. Um, I think about the, uh, the, the game where, where Quinn Sullivan had the hat trick and he was, mm-hmm. he was amazing in that game. That was the Cuba game. Yeah. He was fantastic in that game. Um, and then I think about the Honduras game where he was combining, he was, he was fast, you know. He was he was he was fascinating in that game as well. And then, I mean, just the rest of the games, I felt like he kind of coasted. But you know, mm-hmm. even 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 at his average level, at at that U twenty level, he's still a good player. So, um, um, I yeah, I, I I think he was solid. Yeah, I, I think I was sort of alternated between Caden Clark is a decent player and really strong member of this U twenty team to. Wow, what is Caden Clark doing in this tournament? He's way too good for the U twenty level. Yeah. When he was playing well, he was unstoppable. He was clearly the best player on the field. When he was playing poorly, he was just a good U twenty player on a team of good U twenty players. So, yeah, I, I still I can see why he hasn't made the leap yet to professional soccer. He's sort of stalled a little bit in his development, but the tools are all there when he's on. He's so, so talented with the ball at his feet. He's an excellent winger. He knows what to do, pick out, picks out a great pass. So I, I'm, I'm interested to see how he develops moving forward. Again, another half-space attacker that we just – we have so many of. So it's going to it's gonna be a crowded – Yeah. It's going to be a crowded front three for sure. 
So Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, this is one of like five players in this roster I feel like would be best served playing at the ten. I think Paxton Aronson, Quinn Sullivan, Jack McGlynn, Diego Luna, Caden Clark. I would like to see all of them play at the ten, occasionally at least. Maybe not McGlynn, but the rest of them, I think that's their best position and you sort of have to either push them into the winger category or push them into the eight category and that's been one of the big struggles for us as we produce so many players in that style. And Caden Clark is possibly one of the best ones we've produced in a long time with that style of player. But where does he map on the field? Winger, I think, is the best fit, but at times you could see him disappear and just really not be able to find the game or make an impact there. Yeah. It is It is just so rare now that the teams play with a, a 10 now. Mm-hmm. Like, like players don't like teams don't usually play with the 10 anymore so yeah all right let's go now to uh, Quinn Sullivan is the second to last player on my list he was made the team of the tournament he scored six goals had a hat trick against Cuba yet still wasn't on my sort of top three performers list so what were your thoughts on Quinn Sullivan um he could have easily won the golden boot if uh you know mikey varis would have started him over hopkins or if he would have started the first game um dude is just a he's just a ball he's just a baller it does not mm. matter what the game is what time it is dude's gonna come out and compete um there's questions over what position does he what position will he actually play at the next level because in my personal opinion, like he's a jack of all trades. Like, yeah, he does a lot of things well, but he doesn't do any of them at an elite level. Yeah, so it's just like he's gonna have to figure out what his position is at the next level. But Duke, the guy could have easily got the golden boot. He's he's yeah. just a baller, and I'm I'm just so I'm so excited to see what he does at mm. at, at the next level. So. I am too. I, I, I thought he really did a great job popping up and scoring just all the time. He just always is in a good position to score, which is such a great trait in an attacker. I, I thought a li- he struggled a little bit to contribute in the buildup. He was one of those players that, you know, he popped up always to score the right goal, but the buildup just wasn't always there for me. I thought his mm-hmm. passing struggled a little bit, and he sort of struggled to be in the right position to combine sometimes. Yeah. Definitely. All right, that leaves us with one last player on this roster, and that is our golden ball and golden boot runner, Paxton Aronson. I there's not enough good things to say about this kid in this tournament. He was phenomenal. Yeah, I actually said that. Like, I mean, he was the golden boot, golden ball winner. There's there's nothing to be said. Like, he's just he he did it all. He did mm-hmm. it all, and when when they needed goals. He provided them <laughs> when they when they needed some structure. He provided it, so I definitely think those are, those awards were deserved because he he kind of was the I wouldn't say he was the do it all, but he was the catalyst for a lot of the, the 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 goals and the you know the assists. So you know I I could just count countless of moments of the the first goal in Honduras. Um, where he and then the game where he had the brace, Costa Rica, Costa Rica. He had a brace in the final. It's like he did it all. He basically did it yeah. all for this game. So yeah. What What did you think of his ability to play that false nine role? He's not a striker, but I mean, for him to to do what he did, he yeah, I, I, he talented. 
super yeah. talented. And he's he's doing things that I don't think Brendan Aronson was doing when he was the same age. Oh, he just, for, for yeah. certain. Like, yeah. I, I, but I think it, I, but I think that that was like, I mean, but that's always been said about Bob the two. Like Brendan mm-hmm. wasn't as good on the ball as Paxton is. Mm. Um, Brendan is more of a, you know, I'm gonna. Brendan is more so like I'm gonna press you, and then when I press you. He's more better in, in transition, and that's why, like, whenever we've been in, we've been in like more possession sets. Brendan has struggled, but when when Brendan is in transition, nobody can stop Brendan. Where I think is Paxton is a little bit more better in possession, um, and the, the pace is a little bit more slower because he he's a he's more of a better technical dribbler. He has better touch at the same age and you know he can easily quickly play those one twos um and then he he's also a better finisher than brendan at, at the same at the same point so sky's the limit and you know uh, the uh what is this what's the gm's name tanner oh well the, yeah yeah well he you know he says that he always fields calls for those players and, you know, he always tells them like it's not the right time. He's going to be getting many more calls and many more <laughs> <laughs> and many more offers. And you know, if the offer's right, you got to let him go. Yeah, you got to let him go. If the if they're making you an offer, if they're make if they're giving you an offer that you can't refuse for them, let them go. Yeah, and that midfield in Philly is so crowded. It feels like it's the right time to sort of let one of them go. And I think Paxton is the closest to being ready for that next step up for senior team minutes somewhere besides Philadelphia. Yeah, for sure. All right, well, that concludes our wrap-up of each individual player. I want to go ahead and get your take on the three players who are most likely to contribute to the senior national team based on their performance in this tournament. If I had to... Now, this is not saying that these are going to be for certain, um, that the players are going to be given a shot post-World Cup, but I do think that these players have the potential to have a shot post-World Cup. Um, obviously, Paxton, Paxton Harrison, um, and it really just depends on what type of move he has post this MLS season. Um, as you see now, that like a lot of these players – have limited amount of time at MLS and get sold. Mm-hmm. So I don't. So I don't even think that that's a, a criteria anymore that you need to do well or play a lot yeah. of MLS because, for one, these European teams know about you before you even play an MLS game. That's just yeah. That's just what it is. Like they, these European teams have scouts over here, and they're watching practices. They're watching the the uh, MLS next games. They're watching the MLS next pro games. They're doing that. And so they they have their mind already set on you before you even play an MLS game. So mm-hmm. I I do think that, like, it depends on how – where Paxton goes. Or he may just decide to, to play, you know, to, to stay at MLS next season. And uh, he may get a shot then. I, I do I do recall that uh, Paxton was on the list for uh, – it was a – it was a camp – yeah, Camp Candy Camp. So the, the the last winter camp, uh-huh. and um, he was on a he was he was on a provisional list, but because Philly was still in the playoffs at that time, they weren't going to release him. So mm. 
I, I do think he's the closest. Second closest, Jack McGlynn. And people are going to be like, well, he's going to have to work out his, you know, his issues defensively before we even think about calling him up. Okay, that's fair. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the last one. Huh. I probably would say Diego Luna. I think that's a fair one. I think that Luna also is sort of pushing for me. I think Caden Clark is also on that list of players who are on the short list to be right on the doorstep. I think Clark has been rumored to be near a senior team call-up for about a year and a half now. So I, I think that that's sort of the short list of players I think are most impressive right now. You can make arguments maybe for Quinn Sullivan. But I, I think that the further up the field you go, you're the more likely you are to see players who are closer to the senior team than further back or towards the defensive, the defensive midfield. Yeah, for sure. All right. I have one last question before you, before we get out of here. Um, and that is there are players across this tournament who played well, besides just the USU 20. Some of them are even eligible for the U S national team. Are there any standout performers for you from other teams that you want to mention? Uh, I mean, obviously, the, the the more popular ones are uh, Arquimius, uh What's his last name? The Guatemalan. Yeah. Um. Hold on. I had it here somewhere. Ordonez. Ordonez. Arquimius Ordonez. Um. We we could have possibly used him. Um. Because he's a striker. So, but, you know. Um. And then Edison is Esconia. Um, he's, he was definitely a standout. Was My, he's the one from Dominican Republic? Yeah, Dominican Republic, yeah. Definitely. He did not play in the final. He was rested for the most part for that game um, after having put in heroic effort to actually get Yeah, Dominico, I mean, once, once, Dominican, yeah. once the Dominican saw that we were, they were playing us, it's like, okay, we got Olympics, we got the World Cup. It's really no reason to – we know we're going to lose, so <laughs> – uh, but my pick, though, my pick, and who I, who I definitely want at least at least MLS teams to be aware of or to like take a look at him, uh, Stevenson Jude from Haiti, the striker. You know, he had five goals, and you know he carried Haiti through that tournament. He, he's one that impressed me, so I, I definitely mm -hmm. think that teams should take a look at him. All three of those were great players, and sort of led this sort of group of non-traditional CONCACAF powers to having excellent tournaments. I think those are all great shouts. I'm going to go ahead and shout out Tony Leone as well from the Mexican national team, who is a youth-eligible center back for the U.S. Um, he was a standout. He made the team of this tournament, and I, he's a player that I think we should definitely, you know, work on recruiting and maybe take another look at because he's in the LAFC Academy, and he could be a standout performer going oh, forward. Oh, the Federation is, is very aware of him. He just, yeah. he, you know, because the fact that Mexico had more camps and more opportunities to court him, he went with Mexico. Mm -hmm. um, however, now that they don't have, a uh, you know, another youth tournament now for the next couple of years, we can make our swoop in, um, possibly for the Olympics. Um, and then, you know, who knows? You never know. But, yeah. All right, USSF, you guys have got your marching orders from us. Go out and get some recruiting done on Leone here. All right, well, we have thoroughly covered this tournament now. Manny, it's been a pleasure. This has been awesome. It's been a learning experience for me. I'm sort of, this is my first youth tournament where I've 
really truly paid great attention to. So you and Jake have helped me sort of learn a lot here. Go ahead and give you give me your last words here on our U20 pod. So as fun as this was to break this down from beginning to end, this is going to be even doubly fun when we do the U17 team. And I said that in the U20 video. I'm going to keep reiterating. It's going to be it's going to be fun doing this. Unfortunately, we're going to probably it's going to probably be another eight months before we can do the U17 team because I do believe their qualifying starts in May, kind of around the same time as the U20 World Cup. But yeah, so but that gives you all the more reason to follow us. Yeah, so up on YouTube, subscribe to us on YouTube, follow us on our Twitter, and then I think that. Uh, do you have your do you have your Twitter handle up or um here I can possibly put them up I actually maybe not but we'll be make sure to put them in the descriptions okay. uh, make sure to follow us um Jake's got his Twitter here at it's called soccer we've got um, Manny you're at rampage Bobby on Twitter mm-hmm. and I am soccer nerd seventy three make sure to give a follow to Ryan as well at Deutscher Yank Four of us will be posting lots about the youth teams going forward, making sure we're following all the big names in the prospect worlds. And we will continue to put out videos on this because this has been really fun to cover. Um, My last word is going to be to get ready for another tournament. Um, Jake and I are both really excited about the youth or about the women's tournament here coming up the CONCACAF women's championships. They got their first win against Haiti yesterday. It was a very, Closely contested con- uh, game with lots of VAR controversies. So it's going to be a fun tournament for the ladies. Hopefully they can take home the CONCACAF championship themselves. And make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube. Follow us. where uh, Give us a like on whatever podcast su- um, system you're listening to this on. And make sure to subscribe to the Patreon. We've got another roster poll coming up for a- in a couple weeks. I'd love to give you guys an early breakdown of it once we get the results. So... With that said, Manny, thanks so much for joining me. This has been a blast, and we will catch you guys next time. Have a good day. Peace. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.